What's up, Dunwoody? It's so awesome when listeners reach out and tell us they enjoy the show. I received a very nice email a while back from a young lady saying that she is a regular listener and that she grew up in my neighborhood, Dunwoody North. After getting married, she moved a couple of miles down the road to Lockwood Forest off of uh, Winter's Chapel in Peachtree Corners and uses our show to keep up with what's going on in her old neighborhood. Podcasting is a funny medium. Um, the listener has really no easy way to communicate back to us. If I post something on Facebook, there's a comment button right under the post. With podcasts, there's that extra step where you have to go to the website and actually write out an old-fashioned email. So we really appreciate the effort that so many of you have made to send us a quick note. The thing that stuck out with this particular email was that it was written by State House Representative Beth Moore. Beth serves the folks of District 95, which includes Peachtree Corners, Norcross, Berkeley Lake, uh, Duluth, Johns Creek. I asked her to come on to talk about transportation issues and the recent Gwinnett Marta referendum. We get into that, her career as an entertainment lawyer, and what it's like to be part of the freshman class at the Capitol. So glad that you joined us. My name is Matt Weber. I'm your local Dunwoody Realtor dude. If you're thinking about selling your home anytime in the near future, please give me a call. No strings attached. I'd love to help answer any questions you may have about the process. My co-host's name is Justin Dyke. Justin is my brother-in-law and founder of PoolDues.com. PoolDues.com is a back-end billing software for your neighborhood pool. It's an all-in-one solution with payments, rentals, and member information. It's funny that Beth's neighborhood of Lockwood Forest is actually using a software. Brett Friedman and Village Orthodontics is our sponsor. Brett has put up some really useful information on our website about how to know when it's time to bring your child in to see him. If you or your child need any orthodontic care, please remember the name Village Orthodontics. And if you're looking for some fun this weekend, Moondog Growlers is hosting their Christmas in July, this Saturday, July 20th. There will be live music and a Santa to take pictures with. Uh, bring your kids. If you see us there, please say hello. Now here's our conversation with Georgia House Representative Beth Moore. What's up, Dunwoody? Welcome back to the What's Up, Dunwoody podcast. All right, we're here with Beth Moore. She's a Georgia House Representative of House District, was it 95? That's right. And that's Gwinnett County? Correct, all Gwinnett County? Gwinnett County and Fulton County. And a little bit of Fulton, okay, cool. Well, tell us about yourself. I know you grew up here in Dunwoody. Let's tie this loosely to Dunwoody. Okay. She actually grew up here in Dunwoody North. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Well, um, well, thank you guys. I really enjoy listening to what's up Dunwoody. You know, as an elected official, it really helps me to find hyper-local news sources, uh, and, and you guys are exactly that. We're and, hyper-local. Yes, and, and, you know, I grew up in Dunwoody. You know, this is, this is my home turf here. Um, and you know, my, my sister had actually introduced me uh, to your podcast and I listened and just loved it. And, uh, I was surprised when I reached out to you guys just to tell you guys how much I love the show that I got invited to be on it. Yeah, so yeah. I'm just, uh, honored to be here and happy Mary to talk with sister. you guys. We try to, we try to really pay attention to our two listeners. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I listened to when you guys interviewed Bob Bama, uh, you know, my sister Marion sits on the board right. um, of that school. So I, so I know Bob and then, um, you know, Marion runs the, the Dunwoody Mops group. So it's, yeah, uh, we'll we, have her we, we on eventually. Know, yeah. So it's, it's kind of fun. We all get to know each other. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> and Walensky. Somebody yes, Mike Walensky. Um, yeah, Mike's Mike's my uh, my good friend down at the Capitol. We've had a lot of fun. You're the new kids, it, right? It, we we are we are the new kids. There are 17 freshman Democrats, of which he and I are two. And Mike and I have the unique distinction of being the only two freshman Democrats to have general bills passed this past session. Oh yeah, what was yours? 
So mine had to, was a tax bill. Um, it it uh, allows cities and counties to more easily report their uh, their splost revenues. Okay. So it's it's really boring stuff to most people. Not but as exciting for, as recess. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, but for county and city administrators, they're really excited about it. Very they're like, great, we get to report this way easier now. Yes, yes. <laughs> we, we made their life easier. Um, so yeah, so well, my, Mike's been a, a great friend and, and, a, and a wonderful legislator and done what he's lucky to have him and I'm, I'm grateful that he works in the district right next door to mine. Well, you're using the word work loosely. I mean, he's taking 10 months off now, right? (laughs) And you know what I like? That you didn't bring your handler with you for this interview. Oh, Mike did? Mike brought a handler. Well, on his very first one. He was still running at that time. So every (laughs) once in a while, he'd look at him to see if, you know. And at that point, it was kind of iffy if we were going to, like, set him up for something horrible. Now, I think after 90 episodes, people trust us a little bit more. I think he asked our political leanings early on, did he? I don't remember that. I think he did, did he? (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, what was it like growing up in uh, Dunwoody? So I grew up in Dunwoody North, uh, the neighborhood you guys live in, um, kind of at the intersection of North Peachtree and Tilly Mill. Um, you know, lifelong member of the Dunwoody North Driving Club. In fact, when I was growing up and spending summers going to swim team at DNDC, our swim coach was Tom McFerrin, oh, yeah? who is now the principal of Dunwoody High School. Okay, I knew I knew that name. That's funny. Yeah. That's funny. That's it's what, 10 o'clock? That's where my son is right now. He's at swim practice. Did they do any driving back then? At no the driving, driving club? No yeah. driving. I have no idea why it, that name got got attached. Okay, what do you think it means, though? Do you think it's car driving or golf club driving? It, you know, in my in my lifetime, I've never been able to figure that out. I, when I was growing up, I assumed it was car driving. Then I was like, maybe it has something to do with golf, but there's no golf course around here. I think <laughs> it's just classy. <laughs> it's cool. It makes us seem like there must be a the rich for neighborhood it. in Dunwoody yeah. when it's actually the opposite. <laughs> Quite the opposite. <laughs> but the pool's not old enough that they would have been like, oh, cars are this new thing. Let's make a driving club and then also let's make a pool, you know? Yeah. I don't know who we can ask about this. Nobody on the board. You're not the expert, so. Um, So I grew up on the pool street. In fact, my mom still lives on Kingsgate Drive. Um, So I still spend a lot of time in Dunwoody. In fact, where I live now is just barely over the Gwinnett County line in Lockridge Forest off of Winter's Chapel. So So you moved to where you could run for... Um, (laughs) Was it before that? (laughs) So I did not have any political aspirations before January of 2018. Okay. Right. That was, um, you know, approximately one year, you know, after the current administration took office. And that, that first year of 2017 was really a, a strange year for me. An it was kind of, <laughs> yeah, just trying to figure out like what's going on in the world and the country, you know, and, you know, starting to, you know, figure out what my role in that is. I'm not the type of person where if I see a problem that I just sit back and hope somebody fixes it. Like I will, if nobody's fixing something, I will do it. And this isn't, you know, a perfect situation where, you know, we're starting to see a lot more political engagement by people who maybe previously were just kind of sitting on, in the back seat, just, mm-hmm. you know, I, in many ways, I too thought like, well, there are professional people who work in government, they'll figure it out. Well, that's not how our government works. We are a citizen volunteer democracy. Government only works if we participate in it. Mm-hmm. And that, that really became very real to me um, a, a, about a year and a half ago 
when I started getting involved in some local grassroots and political organizations like No Safe Seeds and Pave It Blue, which are led by women, right? Women are the ones that are saying, you know, this is wrong, we need, this needs to change. And they really encouraged me and, and many other women who ended up running for office um, last year. So, you know, they helped me understand the importance of local politics, state politics, which is something I never really paid much attention to. You know, everybody kind of pays attention to the presidential race, maybe your local congressional race. Some people pay attention to the governor's race, which is hugely important. Um, But not a whole lot of people were paying attention to the state house. When in fact, what I think is that with the current dysfunction of Washington, D.C., that we're going to see state governments play a much more prominent role in policymaking and you know impacting our day-to-day life. And so I took a look at my local house seat and saw that not only did the current occupant of that seat not represent my views, uh, he also ran unopposed in 2016. So democracy really is not functioning if we don't have a choice on the ballot. And remember, this is my ballot, too. So I wanted a choice on the ballot. Right. And, uh, Some sort of choice. <laughs> something. And uh, so that's when I decided, well, this is a problem. If nobody else is going to solve it, then I will. Did you run against the same guy the next time? So um, so the, the then incumbent ran unopposed in 2016. I jumped into the race for 2018, and I'm currently serving my first term. Okay. Yeah. And I, I don't know who's going to run against me in 2020, but I imagine somebody probably will. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think Justin, should, is that you? No, of course yeah. not. I think it, I think it should be all women running the government. Really? That way, we can just kick back and be like, "Not our problem." They're, in, char- they're in charge anyway. I'm yeah, sorry. exactly. My house, at least. <laughs> it is kind of how that works, right? Yeah. Like you can maybe get a little bit of a vote or say every once in a while. Yeah, but, but I always have to run everything through her, at least. We definitely need more women in government. We need more minority voices in government, um, and so I encourage anybody who is interested in, in you know making an impact in their community that you know running for um, not just a, a state house position like house or senate but you know running for school board running for city council run for mayor um, you know their city councils have all kinds of boards that they have to appoint members to mm-hmm. you know uh, zoning boards and things like that so there are opportunities everywhere if you just look for them and get involved yeah, yeah we've called those gateway drugs in the past because <laughs> <laughs> if you do it's like we're just running for the pool board you know it's like well okay now i've got this like little taste of this isn't that hard like i can do it with all the other things in my lives and then you know you just kind of look to well what's the next thing i could do after that it's something that we all have to do you know i know that they drill this into you in school depending on which school you go to but you know, we really do all owe an obligation to our community to get involved and make it the place that we want it to be. You know, if, if you're in a place right now where you don't like what's going on, you have to change it, right? Don't wait for, you know, some uh, hero to come along. That hero is you. Yeah. <laughs> Were you involved in student government as a kid? Not at all. No, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> what position did you have? Uh, student body president. Oh, he was yeah. so hoping that you would ask him that. <laughs> Now, Monty, that's not class president, that's body president. Okay. So that's the, basically the president of the school. Yeah, I wouldn't even know what the difference, but... Yeah, so you went to Wesleyan? Um, I did. So right. um, so when I was in Dunwoody, I went to high, uh, went to elementary school at Chestnut. Oh, then awesome. went to what was then Peachtree Junior High. Uh-huh. Uh, and, you know, I graduated class of 2000. 
And then um, for high school, starting in ninth grade, I went to Woodward Academy for two years and was commuting from Dunwoody down to College Park. Uh, Realized that that was not the life for me. And um, Wesleyan had just recently moved from their church campus somewhere, I think in Sandy Springs, to their now uh, permanent location in Peachtree Corners and um, decided I would like to go there because it's a shorter commute. Right, right. (laughs) Uh, and it was wonderful. The, the school was still relatively new, r- relatively small. I graduated in a class of 40. Oh, wow. Yeah. That was small. <laughs> yeah, you have, um, prob- there are probably some classrooms at Dunwoody High School that are bigger than that. Yeah. But that was our, our entire graduating class. And then you went to Georgia, which is enormous. Yes. Um, so got Big the Hope difference. Scholarship. Uh, all, all four of my parents' kids got the Hope Scholarship, probably saved my family, you know, probably $200,000 over the course of our educational careers. It was easier to keep back then too, right? Yeah, I had I had um, Hope Scholarship Classic, which was <laughs> as long as you maintained a B average, then you got a full ride. Yeah, the party edition of <laughs> Hope Scholarship. Like. Well, that's what mine was, because I would get a 2.5 the first semester, and then I'd have to get a 3.5 to like even it out that second semester. <laughs> Always did the bare minimum, you know? Yeah. Well, but I went to school for free. Which is important. I mean, it's it's so important, so important because that really helped define my whole you know adult experience. Because mm. you know, I, I the state of Georgia invested in me, right, in me personally, and allowed me to go to college debt free. Which really meant my parents got to send their kids to school debt free. Right. But also, I came out debt free, which left you know, left a a door wide open for me to determine where I wanted to go in life. I didn't have to decide what kind of job or career I wanted to have based on how I could pay back student loans because, you know, repayments started immediately after I graduated. I could do anything I wanted, right? So I could pursue the jobs that I wanted, um, which I did for four years before I decided that I wanted to go to law school, right? But even that was an option for me because I didn't have the crushing load of student debt already from my undergraduate degree. Right. Um, went to Georgia State for law school, which is um, a, a great school, for, especially for the, the cost of it, right? You can get a legal education at Georgia State for about the cost of a new car. Yeah. Right. While I do um, have a family loan on my law school tuition, um, you know, being able to open my own law practice and kind of self-determine where I wanted to go with my law degree was possible possible because I didn't have student debts that I had to start paying back immediately. So there really was a lot of freedom that was granted to me with the Hope Scholarship. And that was some, that was a policy that our state lawmakers and governor put in place that changed my life, changed the lives of the people in my family, yeah. and in the current life that I have with my husband. So, uh, you know, that's yet another reason why I felt compelled to run for office is to give back to the state that gave me so much. Right. What do you feel about like? It seems like every guidance counselor at every high school is is they're they're judged on okay, well, this many kids ended up going from the high school to college. But maybe that's not always the best route for everybody, right? So, for example, in the game of life, you can choose in the beginning, do I go to school or do I just get right into the game, right? Start making money and everything like that. And, um, I mean, I think that actually is there's, there's something valid for that. But maybe it's not like, I'm just going to go start fixing up cars in a garage. Like, I'm going to go intern somewhere for two years at a... You know, like a real business or something like that. If we could figure out a way where it's it's not frowned upon that like, oh, I didn't go straight to college. You know, I figured out like, 
a little bit about working in a particular industry first and then decided, okay, maybe college is what I need to keep going with this. Or I hate finance. I don't want to do this. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's kind of, I was a finance major. And right when I got out, I was like, oh, these are the jobs that I'd be taking. Um, <laughs> or, or if you do like working, you know, HVAC, <laughs> if you find that that's the thing for you, then you can just do that for the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah. There's a little bit of a, a holdover from, I think, our parents' generation where, you know, college was your ticket, right? You know, and not everybody went. So it was really special if you went. Um, and that was almost a, a guarantee into a good, solid paying job. Mm-hmm. I'd say there, you know, there's there's still some truth to that. I think, you know, if you look at the statistics, you know, someone with a college degree is going to earn on average a million dollars more than a non-college graduate over the course of, of their lifetime. But I think that's changing. I agree that uh, college, you know, the traditional liberal arts type of college is not for everybody and not everybody should do it. Um, but, you know, that's also something that, you know, that is told to different populations of people. Whereas, you know, someone in my position, you know, come from, you know, a solid middle class family, private school education, all of that. It's just kind of assumed that that type of student is going to go on to higher education. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, in Gwinnett County, we have lots of great options for students that, you know, I think the pressure to go to a University of Georgia or Georgia Tech is, is starting to loosen a little bit. We have uh, Georgia Gwinnett College. Um, you know, in Lawrenceville, that is a great option for That's people. That's where I'm from. GGC yeah. is a yeah, good school now. Yeah. Oh, I, it's, I employ a bunch of high school kids, and so yeah, that, that's a good school to go to now. It's it's great. And, you know, when I was growing up, it wasn't called Georgia Gwinnett College. I think it was more like a Perimeter. local, like, yeah, or, or Gwinnett College yeah, or something like that. I think it was like to begin with. And so it was kind of considered a transition school, right? You, you go there, and then you transition to UGA or something right. like that. We have that. We also have Gwinnett Tech, uh, which is training, you know, the technical engineers for major companies like Mercedes, right? You know, they, they are offering an alternative path to not only a different type of higher education, but a whole different career. Mm-hmm. You know, you wouldn't come out of UGA and be able to go immediately work, you know, uh, you know, at Mercedes, at least not in the capacity that they're training these technical engineers to do. And I don't think those schools would have grown that way without hope, too, without keeping people here in the state. Yeah. I mean, I, it improved all of our schools, really. Absolutely. So, so that's a weird byproduct, then, of hope being so exclusive, exclusive right now that, like, okay, well, I didn't get this, so now I do have to look at maybe the technical school. But then, yeah. oh, that's interesting. Hmm. I think it's funny where the hope money comes from. It's like the, the ignorant tax from lottery tickets <laughs> and such, you know? Like, it's kind of yeah, the people yeah. that probably aren't going to go to college are paying for us to go to college, so. Well, anybody... That is a weird way of looking at it. Yes, you're right. <laughs> Well, I want to encourage everybody to play the lottery (laughs) to pay for our education. You just could win. Yeah, yeah. We need more vice taxes. Like, let's get some prostitution up in here, make that legal, (laughs) gambling. Let's do it all. Mike Walensky, if you're listening, that's your bill, hon. (laughs) Jump in front. So Mike's in a cabana right now. He doesn't care. (laughs) So after college, what did you do as a lawyer? You're an entertainment lawyer, is that right? Yes, I, I do entertainment law exclusively. So my specialty is representing clients in the music, film, and television industries with a um, with a particular expertise in the music industry, which is kind of its own world in terms of you know legal standards and language and industry loose. customs. 
Yeah, film and TV is, is easy compared to music, but it's all kind of part of the same ecosystem of you know, artistic talent and copyrights and content creation. I do a little bit of trademark work too. So I like to say I get to have the most fun a lawyer is allowed to have. Yeah, you get to deal with fun people for sure. Very fun people, very interesting people. Uh, I deal with folks from all walks of life, all backgrounds, you know, genres, artistic Lots of tattoos walking into your office. Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, you know, and you'll you'll see today I'm wearing, you know, jeans and a, and a, and a blouse. That's my, my typical wardrobe because the people that I work with, you know, they, they don't necessarily want to be represented by someone who's who wears a three-piece suit you know right. we, we keep it pretty casual and very personable you need some chains and some ice you know like. <laughs> i'll work on that do you change real quick when so you see somebody walk in you're like uh oh, i got a bandana and there's some fake tattoos <laughs> yeah <laughs> believe it or not i have zero tattoos yeah, but, but I, I i enjoy people who uh who, who express themselves artistically in that fashion you should get a tattoo that says house of representing with the <laughs> apostrophe at the end that would be cool uh, have you? I mean, has, have there been any like unique or strange cases recently that you, that you're allowed to talk about, <coughs> entertainment law wise? Well, I'm, I'm not um, permitted to reveal my clients personally, okay. but I can kind of give you a, a sense of the, the typical types of clients that I service. Um, you know, it could be anyone from a songwriter to a recording artist, or sometimes I'll represent the record label in their contracts with a recording artist. Um, oh, I flipping the script, you know, you're going to the other side on that. Uh, side. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's whoever you know seeks my services and in, engages them is, Comes in is who I'll represent. The bag of cash drops it on the table, <laughs> says, <laughs> opens it up. Here's now you're on my team. Yeah, <laughs> legal services cost money. Uh, has there been anything uh, emerging technology-wise? Let's say with like Apple Music or, or Spotify, all these you know different ways of monetizing uh, music now that you've that you've had to deal with or, you know, yeah, been yeah. game changers? So the I came into the, you know, the entertainment industry and particularly the world of music at a, at a really interesting time. Um, you know, when, in fact, my first year of college at UGA was when Napster was at its height, right? Yeah. And, and we all jumped on board the Napster train, right? Because we didn't understand that it was it was illegal that they were scamming artists, stealing their property and giving it to all of us for free. You know, we didn't see it that way. We just said, oh my gosh, here's uh, like a treasure trove of music that you could just put your hand into the pot and pull out whatever you wanted. It was amazing. Well, and, and you know what's weird about that is we didn't think it was that bad because we were, we were coming off of being able to take one tape and copy it over to another tape. And, and it was all just as good, basically, you know, so it was it was this weird extension of like, well, I'll just, I'll just copy it from you, you know. Yeah. I mean, you, you saw my phone case. It's a, it's <laughs> yeah, a, it's right. a cassette tape. We need to take a photo um, of that. <laughs> that's awesome. So for us, music was something that you buy in the store. You know, I mean, the Internet was new, you know, this. So digital music was just this whole new concept. It didn't feel real. Like, you know, you couldn't see it, touch it, smell it like you could a cassette tape or a CD. So, you know, we just were kind of exploring this whole new world that was emerging before our eyes. Um, and then, you know, so that, that point was important because that was an inflection point in the music industry. You know, the point at which we started to evolve from, 
you know, going to Blockbuster Music at Perimeter Mall and, you know, pulling, you know, buying music off the store shelves to now you could get it, you know, immediately with literally the click of a button. And th that made all of the difference. You know, we, we're, we are now moving into um, a, we are in the midst of, of a musical era that has been democratized. You know, you are no longer relying upon the major record labels to tell you what music is going to be available to you and tell you what you should like. You have, you know, you have now your, you've got your Chance choice the Rapper of... just doing whatever he wants, you know? <laughs> yeah, anybody can put their music out there. You know, it's basically for free, you know, and make it available to anybody and everybody. Um, it's it's easy, uh, you know. You don't have to go through a formal record label or distribution process to access your favorite artists. You know, um, you know. There's, you know, independent artists have just as much, um, you know, availability to distribute around the world, like just like Sony or Warner Brothers does. Yeah. Oh, and we had this weird mini shift even in those twenty years where it was like, okay. You're not going to just get it for free. You're going to we'll make it so that you you can just buy one at a time for a dollar, right? Um, and then it's like, well, that kind of just went away now too. In the past, let's say six or seven years with Apple Music and, and all the other streaming services, iTunes is shutting down too. Did you hear about that? Yeah, I mean, are they going to stop completely doing the dollar sales? No, I'm okay. sure that's going right. to make all their money. I'm sure they're still going to do that. But you know, I I grew up at a time when we you if you wanted to listen to that one song on the radio, you had to buy the whole album. Right, right. right. And, and turtles. And that's <laughs> <laughs> And or tape it when it came on the air. That's yeah. true, yeah. Listen to the radio for hours and hours and then quickly hit record. Play and record. Yeah. Yeah. The original mixtape. That did the top 60 and oh, Saturday yeah. mornings. I forgot. Oh, you must have knew it was coming then. You're yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Casey Kasem. Casey Kasem, yeah. yeah. Song number four is going to be the jam. Yeah. <laughs> but there was a certain beauty in being able to, you know, um, you know kind of get to know an artist's entire album right not just that one track that the dj wanted you to hear and sometimes that would you know you'd listen to the whole record and be like well that was that was worthless i just yeah. really wanted that one song but then sometimes you hear a record and you're like oh my gosh there are great songs on this you could really appreciate that album as a whole complete work of art from you know track one to track ten you know without just isolating track number seven because that's the only one you like over and over and over again <laughs> yeah and and i'm still like that like you know if i you know get attracted to a new artist and i'm listening to them i want to know what does their whole album sound like i don't want to hear just one or two songs I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna judge them based on their entire body of art and um you know that that's a habit that i continue to engage in today and i I wonder if that is a practice that has been completely lost on a new generation that doesn't have that same unique appreciation for albums like I do. Well, I think it's coming back around now that everything is essentially just, you know, one price for everything, right? So you're not going to just buy that one track. You'll listen to it and then it immediately goes to the next one. And Spotify has really mastered that whole program. I, I still have, take issue with how little they pay their artists per song, but it, it but they did what needed to be done right from the get-go, which was make it easy for consumers to be able to access the music they love and make sure that the content creator gets paid for that the distribution of their work. And the customer experience that they're providing is like Netflix, you know, where it's like, oh, you like this? You'll probably like this. And they're pretty much dead on every time. I mean, they're, they're, they're doing it right. 
for sure. Yeah, and that cuts back on you know the pirating that happened. You know when you know back at the turn of the century, it was it was easier to steal the music than to pay for it. And so hopefully now the market has course corrected to where it's easier to legitimately get that content without having to sneak around and steal it. Yeah, but I, movies are sliding deeper and deeper into streaming, yeah. you know, like <laughs> illegal streaming. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's a whole other. That's a whole other thing. You don't deal with movies, do you? Or do you? I, I do. I represent um, screenwriters and directors. Um, to a certain extent, I represent actors, but usually only at the point where they are engaging an agent. Um, you know, most actors are or should be represented by an agent so you know the, the great thing about that for the for the actors is that once they have an agent they don't need me anymore and unions are great for people who work on film sets whether as an actor or uh, director or set builder because when they're represented by a union that puts us lawyers out of business and that's right. that's counterintuitive for my interest but it's great for them and I really encourage it yeah all right. Well, let's let's get off of um, lawyering and t- tell. Let's talk about mass transit. You've got kind of probably a, a split view. You've got Gwinnett, and then you're from here. So I mean, is that I'm from Gwinnett, and people in Gwinnett did not want Marta. Mo- like a lot of people were very adamant about Marta. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So um, so the the Marta transit referendum was it was a beast because there was so much. D- you know, disagreement about how that whole vote came about. You know, there was, um, you know, there was disagreement about whether or not that should have been a special election held in winter. <laughs> um, you know, for those of us who are elected officials who really wanted to support it, at least in terms of getting, you know, people out to vote one way or another, we were really handicapped because in March, you know, and for the months leading up to the vote, we were at, we were in session. So there's not a whole lot of, of time or capability for us to go out and engage the community and do door knocking like we would during a normal election and season. And you just got put there too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we were... Jump right we're into it. Drinking out in the fire hose, as they say. Right. Um, and, well, the session's only two months, right? Or... It's 40 days. Okay, yeah. Um, which this year ran from mid-January to April 2nd. So it was, it was an extra long session this year because we had a couple of days off for... Um, for snow, which never came, but then also for the Super Bowl, uh, we we took a couple extra days off. So this year ran kind of long, kind of long. Oh, the government um, gets to take off the day after the Super Bowl, <laughs> huh? <laughs> Everybody else is going to jolly. The whole city horrible. was shut down for a few days. Uh, understand? <laughs> oh, because it was here in Atlanta. Well, because because you have legislators coming from all over the state, including South Georgia, and, right. and they stay in the hotels, which were all booked up for the Super Bowl. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I'm a, an enormous supporter of um, public transit, mass transit, for a number of reasons. First, like, you know, anybody who's grown up in Atlanta, this problem has only gotten worse and worse. You know, it used to be that happy or uh, rush hour was between, you know, five and six, right? And then it was like five to seven. Now it's four to seven. I would argue it's even starting at three o'clock. Yeah, I was going to say it gets earlier and earlier. Yeah. I, I have um, I have an assistant who works with me out in Peachtree Corners. He lives in Marietta. He has to leave the office by 3.30 or else he will get stuck in traffic. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's ridiculous. And this is one of those problems that you know everybody thinks that a magic solution is going to come along. But then once a solution is proposed, people are like, you know, no, I don't want that. You know, yeah. that's not what I wanted. But we need it. 
We need it as a community, as a state, you know, as a functioning economy, we need it. Um, you know, perfect example was, you know, when I was going to law school at Georgia State downtown, I was living in Peachtree Corners. And every day I would have to figure out how to get from North Atlanta to downtown Atlanta. So what did I do? I took MARTA every single day. I from would, where? I would, I would drive from Peachtree Corners to the Dorval MARTA station, okay. hop on the train there, take it all the way down to Five Points, hop one stop over on the East Line over to Georgia State, and the law school building was right there in front of the building. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. Not only did that... Um, you know, save me time and traffic. It saved me money from not having to pay for gas or wear and tear on my car. Um, you know, I didn't have to worry about getting into accidents or getting, I mean, I don't, I don't drive fast, but it saved me from ever having to get a speeding ticket. Uh, saved me from having to pay hundreds of dollars for parking downtown, worrying if my car is going to get broken into. It, for me, it really was one of those lifelines that allowed me to go to college, you know, not rack up a whole lot of debt while doing so, be able to get downtown quickly, safely, and for the rest of you guys, it got me off the road. So it made everybody else's commute a little easier, right? That's what we're talking about when we, we're talking about mass transit. Sometimes you don't always see the benefits if you're not personally experiencing it, but trust me, the benefits are there. And if we invest in it, get more people off the road, um, start thinking about more alternative forms of transit, I, I think that could be a great thing for our economy, for our city planning, for families. I mean, there, to me, there's no downside. Yeah. Does your district care about elevated lanes? Oh, you're talking about the, the 285? Right. Uh, you're no, a little far from there. <laughs> um, it does not. It's not It's not an issue that we're dealing with, but I'm keeping a close eye on it because I got a lot of family and friends in Dunwoody. And, She's uh, over there by Lockridge Forest. It's, it's not hitting her. <laughs> <laughs> I know that people in my district are very concerned about commute times. Um, you know, we also have a lot of retirees in my district who you know, don't uh, see just how awful people's daily commutes are. You know, it, it certainly hit my family personally when my husband at one point had gotten a job out in Smyrna. And after experiencing that commute on the north side of 285, mm-hmm. it just, we just decided it wasn't worth it. Why? Did you have to drop him off one day at work? No. <laughs> His car's at the shop, you're like, oh, I was complaining every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When, when you don't have happy family members, that does impact the whole household. And yeah. um, it just, you know, it, it, it's just a shame that, you know, given how relatively close it is in terms of mileage if the commute you know doesn't make it worthwhile that means that you know that employees in Peachtree Corners cannot consider jobs in areas even you know as close as Smyrna and employers in Smyrna are going to have a hard time attracting great employees from other places in the city like Peachtree Corners right Right? so these these are real world impacts we're talking about when we fail to solve a problem like um, public transit what does your husband do He is in software sales, and he and I have probably the best story about how we met. Um, My husband and I met debating presidential politics on CNN back Ah. in 2008. (laughs) Um, If you remember, that was the year that um, Obama was running against John McCain. Um, I got invited to participate in a televised panel uh, with then CNN commentator Rick Sanchez. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, to, it was called the League of First Time Voters. It was essentially a panel to bring in young people to talk about politics. 
Um, so, you know, I got invited to be there to support, you know, my chosen candidate, you know, then candidate Barack Obama. And there was uh, a young man from, uh, from Roswell who went to Milton High School who was there to support his candidate, John McCain. And uh, it's the whole thing um, was taped and uh, aired on CNN in like, I think, less than a week before the November 2008 election. And we had a we had a wonderful little conversation. And then as we started talking, you know, even before um, we dived into the debate, we, you know, we always have the, you know, conversation with someone like, oh, where'd you grow up? And we, he told me he went to Milton. And I was like, oh, that's where my aunt teaches. You know, do you happen to know Sue Hampton? And he was like, Sue is my mom's best friend, is what he told me. And I was like, oh my gosh, small world. So, um, so we, we realized that we already had a connection. You know, Atlanta is like a town of five million small. You know, we were able to connect on Facebook, and you know, we started chit chatting. We even made a bet about the election. If Obama won the election, then he had to take me out oh, for dinner. Oh, come on. This is like Seinfeld. And then I told him, okay, and that if McCain won, he still had to take me out for dinner. So either way, we were going to go out on a date. And we ended up hitting it off. And, you know, 10, almost 11 years later now, we're, we're, we've been married for seven years. And, and you still argue about politics? You know, people ask Discuss us that. Discuss politics. People ask us all the time if we just argue with each other. <laughs> and, and the truth is that we don't. We, in fact, I'd say we agree on 90 to 95% of everything, right? But some people just kind of culturally identify as Democrat or Republican for whatever reason. Maybe yeah. they grew up that way or that's just how their friends vote or identify. But if you strip away the, you know, the, the political categories, we're all just people. And that's how I approach my, uh, my life and my job and my role as an elected official is, yeah, I'm part of the Democratic team. That is the team that I um, identify most closely with in terms of policy. But we're all just people. I don't care where a good idea comes from. If it's a good idea, you know, we need to consider it. And, and that's really how I roll. That's a great finish, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. Should we just end right there? Should we end right there? Yes, we should end right there. Uh, I had a joke about a MAGA hat in the bedroom, but all right. No MAGA, no MAGA hats in my, in my household. Got to turn it around. <laughs> well, that- yeah, we should have ended before that one. <laughs> well, thanks for meeting with us, Ben. Thank you for having me. I will be listening to every episode. <laughs> <laughs>